Hi. Now that you're here, we're all in good company. So let's get going with another episode in The Wine Merchant. I'm Sam. And I'm Ted. And this is Claire's Diary. So here we are. Welcome back. Do you back. know? Welcome back. Do you know, I'm looking at this, this is the 48th diary entry we're making into a little podcast episode yeah. here. We've come a long way. <laughs> okay. Claire has entitled this, I love this when she does this, she has entitled this Family Ties. <laughs> that could be taken a few different ways, you know. <laughs> family Ties a show, Family Ties a your uncle, a mm-hmm. your cousin, a okay. your brother. She's given us a little note from Claire this time. Hmm. She says, nieces, aunts, and friends, my diary entry below calls to mind something I feel as though I should prepare or maybe even warn you about. Okay, Claire. She says, throughout season four of The Wine Merchant, I've been writing about very recent experiences and events, and sometimes they're as recent as that evening or just the day before. I tend to write late at night, and when I fall asleep with pen in hand, I finish up in the morning. And there may be a time or two when there's so much to talk about, but I have to cut away and continue in the next entry. Whether you're listening to the podcast or reading the text, I do hope that no one feels as though they've been left in midair. It's just the way it happened. Is that for us too? Claire. <laughs> Is I, that us too? Well, I think she's good. Yeah, I think midair. She's... I feel like a bird. <laughs> well, you know, you know this one coming. She's going to leave probably leave us hanging, but you know, I don't know. We'll Forewarned is forearmed, as she would say. <laughs> Family ties. Okay, Claire. What you got? What you got? Are you set? Yeah, I'm ready to go. You are. Everybody has their earbuds in. (laughs) Take a sip of that wine. And for those of you who listen to us on high speed, I don't like being a chipmunk (laughs) with your high speed. But we're happy you're here no matter how you come and how you personally listen to us. Come on, let's get on. All right. Listen up, folks. Here we go. Clara said, allow me to backtrack. Indulge me so that maybe I can get a better perspective on all of this because this is an awful lot to take in at once. Alexander had appeared in the doorway of my office, and before I could even greet him, he jumped in to tell me the details of his last few months. I think the speed with which he spoke was due mostly to nerves, and hopefully, maybe he was happy to see me too. Remy sat quietly next to him, waiting. He waited for my signal to him that it was okay to leave, but I was so taken aback by Alexander's arrival, I simply forgot. He eventually grew impatient, and he got up, and he placed his head in my lap for the attention and the permission he needed, even though he already knew it was okay to return to his post by the front door, where he'd wait for his breakfast. He's such a great dog. He's more patient and better at forgiveness than we humans. But I digress. I love that dog. I, I want, want one just I want like that him. dog. So let's get to it. Mr. Alexander has returned? Yes. In the last episode, he was standing by the door with the dog. With the dog. Right. Her, her two favorite guys in one place, she her said. Two, right? That's right. Her, two, okay. her last words in that episode yeah. were her two right. favorite guys. So he's back. So what she does he set want? up shop. Words gotten out. He showed up on her doorstep. And here he is. So he's jumping into it and talking fast and he's nervous and the dog's waiting and okay yep claire continues she writes 
Alexander's story from the top. It turns out he initially went to California to get confidential and unbiased opinions about his wine. Having met Natalie online through the International Vintners Association, it was Natalie who recommended seeking out the information he needed in California and that she would assist him whenever needed. And she puts in parentheses here, she says, their commonality was that they had both grown up under the maternal grandfather's tutelage and were intent on keeping their grandfather's work alive, literally. So it says here, it says, wait, so are you also telling me that the coincidence of sitting next to me on the flight from Paris was purely coincidental? That was Claire asking that question. Without hesitation, he asked somewhat rhetorically if I thought he was crazy enough to pay for a first-class ticket. Yes, my feelings for Alexander intensified in that exact moment. Thoroughly distracted, we barely managed to get back into his story and his concern about his vineyard's wine. So I'm a bit confused. Who exactly did pay for that ticket? Do we know? It's, there's a big, there's little question marks floating around oh, in the sky okay. right now. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, it's implied that Laurent upgraded both of them and had them sit next connected. to. She wanted them to meet. Right. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Because the plane, um, the attendant at the at the gate said something to them exactly. about that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, she said something about Laurent. You know, give my arm. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Now I remember. Okay. okay. Hmm. So. Okay. Here we go. Claire continues, she says, the brief version is Alexander spent years working with his paternal grandfather and his two uncles running the family vineyard. As they say, he was knee-high to a grasshopper, working every job in that vineyard, pulling weeds, stringing wires for the vines, trimming, and then all of the harvesting activities that follow. Most of all, though, young Alexander was attracted to the blending and the crafting of the wines, just like his grandfather. In divorce from Alexander's mother, his father was never interested in any aspect of wine. He soon disappeared and left two-year-old Alexander and his mother living on the vineyard. This family was basically split into two factions. His uncles and their sons were of the quantity over quality mindset, whereas Alexander was absolutely committed to quality at all costs. This quality mindset was consistent with the family's history as leaders in their community of vintners. They always upheld and then improved upon the minimum standards for the region's wine. Off to college, Alexander studied viticulture and winemaking. And when he returned to the family vineyard, he worked tirelessly to clean up the processing to ultimately bring in harvests filled with promise for uniqueness and exceptional quality. His theories were working, and several local growers had already begun to buy into his plans for turning the region into a biologique or an organic designation for the vineyards. After a few very good harvests and subsequent award-winning wines, Alexander was getting the recognition he deserved, not only for his winemaking skills, but also as a forward-thinking leader in his community of farmers and vintners. Wow. So he's really so he's made a, a place guy. for himself, hasn't he? So he continued working on his way of doing it, even with the uncles and cousins being, you know, turkeys. Yeah, it, se- it seems to me that this biologique is uh, probably a hard sell. 
And he managed to sell enough of his compatriots to do it in that fashion. I'm sure it was a hard sell because it's expensive. Right. You know, it's a lot easier to, you know, put some anti-weed chemicals down than, you know, to get out there and pull them or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, it's also interesting. He mentions the, or she mentions the, um, he's following in his family's footsteps and the fact that there was a split in the family when his father left. Well, think about the tension, though. His mother, it's not her family. It's his father's family, but he took off. Right. And so he was growing up with his grandfather and his mother and his cousins, whatever presence they had there. So that's how he gets into the wine business. Okay. Let's go. Okay. So she says, eventually, age caught up with his grandfather. Oh, so hold on a second. So what Claire is doing here, she's just repeating Alexander's big story that He sits and tells her all about everything, right? Right. Okay, let's continue. She says, eventually, he said, age caught up with his grandfather as he proudly disengaged from the daily activities out in the vineyard with the knowledge that they were producing excellent wine. He died a very happy and content man. Oh, that's sweet. Mm, That is sweet. Because he knew he had someone who was going to take over the reins, right? Yeah, but there's a however. Yeah, there's always a however. However, (laughs) and soon thereafter, the family had grown ever more divided as to the future of the vineyard and their winemaking. Alexander was easily outnumbered by his cousins, and when it came time to make decisions, they chose to follow the advice of their greedy, deal-making cousin from his Paris office. Alexander cannot recall ever seeing that cousin, Robert, on the vineyard. Other than Alexander, there were no other family members working on their own vineyard. The only time these cousins visited the place was to show it off as if it was a constant in their lives. Well, isn't that just typical? Typical of what? Cousins? Family stuff? What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, you know, oh, there's some real social cachet to the whole yeah, vineyard yeah, thing, yeah. and uh, but they don't want to do the hard work, you know? Yep. They don't want to get well, the they Well, he also dirty. says, or she also says earlier about quantity over quality. That's mm-hmm. what they were into. And this one is dictating from Paris what they should do. So, you know, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> It's inevitable, right? Because they're not all on the same road. Mm-mm. They are not. So what happens? So the evil, the evil cousins named Robert or Robert, Robert. as he says, as yes. you say. The evil cousin. The evil cousin. Sounds like they're all evil. The whole well, lot of I them. I think they're goofy. I think they don't care. They're not, yeah. they're not invested in the, in the family place, you know? It's been a great thing. The grandfather ran it. They probably barely even knew Alexander. He was out in the vineyard with his grandfather, right? Yeah, doing the work. So she continues. She says, in a particularly insulting move, a, and then she puts in air quotes, a production manager. That sounds ominous, doesn't it? Mm. A production manager (laughs) was brought in to run the vineyard. It would be an operation that would pursue wine volume over quality. Heartbroken. Alexander vowed to stay on and preserve the hard-won reputation of the vineyard and the region as well. Several of the locals felt betrayed after having followed his good but costly advice by investing in organics as growers and makers, only to be left out there on their own. Alexander pleaded with them to stay with the organic processes and to be patient while he worked to turn his family in the right direction. He believed in them 
He believed if they could hang in there with the plan, then eventually he could rejoin them. He had to believe in himself too. Boy, that's a tough sell all around. He's asking these people, I haven't abandoned you. I still believe in this mission. Keep spending the extra money. Keep limiting your harvest. Keep, you know, it's And in the meantime, the production manager hired by the cousins is only out to produce. That's what he is. He's a production manager. I mean, this this whole process is slow, right? Because you get a whole growing season and then a harvest. So it's months and it's a full year sort of in arrears before anything changes, right? Right. Mm. Okay. Any other thoughts? I still keep saying there's a road that's going to, they're going to be going in separate directions and there's going to be a problem. Well, they're going to diverge at some point. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll see. She says, one of Alexander's first bold moves was to enter the wines into French competitions, hoping to convince the vintners to continue the work they started. So this is his whole keep it up, you know, hang in there with the organic process. And it continues, she says, and this is where he found some success. The wines were widely praised and several were finalists in the nationwide competition. Their hard work had been noticed and it was the boost the other makers needed. Except for the part where a great deal of the attention happened to focus solely on Alexander's wine. (laughs) Oh, God. Mm. The petty jealousies eventually waned, and finally, everyone could celebrate the acclaim bestowed on the region. After all, the Romans and royals all knew the best wine came from this terroir. The others were merely latecomers. <laughs> That's very funny. Reach around and pat yourself on the back there. <laughs> well, I think, I think the fact that Alexander has placed his wines in competition and has won it speaks volumes to his uh, ability to bring the biologique into fruition. Yeah. Right? And to get other people to convince other farmers and vintners to go along with his way of looking at things. Well, I think what he's done, yeah, I think what he's done is he learned under his grandfather's wing. Mm-hmm. And then off to school he went and learned the science, the technical stuff, not just, not just the wisdom of the vineyard, you know, from his mm-hmm. grandfather. So he learned the science of it. You know, the more recent science points to organics in in every way. I will say that, sort of a side note, footnote here, a lot of the farming in France, particularly in the 70s, the 60s into the 70s, they were really big into the chemicals, Mm -hmm. really big. I mean, they worked, you know, it was efficient, it worked, why not? But then the issue is it's chemical, right? Well, then it started, you know, things eventually began to turn around in the 90s a little bit and gradually year by year, you know, people have begun to recognize, you know, this can't be good. And besides, people were getting sick. People who worked in the vineyards and, you know, spent any time close up in the farming aspect. So much has changed. There still is not a vast number of organic farmers there. But it also takes a long time to get the designation because if your field has been in use with chemicals, I I don't know what it takes to to get it to come back, but it takes a while, I I would guess. Just to kind of sum up. So he's got a couple of issues here. He's got his push to 
other vintners to go along with this biologic way of doing things. And then he's got in his own backyard, literally, these cousins who mm-hmm. really don't want to do it that right. way, right? So he's representing one thing from the house of his family, mm-hmm. but his cousins are representing something mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. to the world that eh, you don't have to listen to him. But he starts to win these awards and that gives him some credibility. Yeah, maybe we should go in this direction, even if it is more expensive, but it's better for the health of the people. And I think the whole idea of terroir, which you mentioned earlier, is really important too, because the health of the land connects to the health of the people who take care of that land, Mm -hmm. right? And that's Mm -hmm. his push as well. So a double benefit, if you will, the wine, (laughs) the vines, and the the people who tend them. And I'll get off my environmental box. But it's true. I mean, wouldn't you, you want when you people first who started work? encountering organic produce in the markets? Mm. And they'd be these little gnarly <laughs> apples. Like, Teeny oh. weenies, yeah. It's not that I want to eat a one and a half pound apple. That's that's not my point. But the first things we saw in the marketplace were really rough looking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, you I know, don't, I don't buy into this American attitude that every tomato should be perfectly round without flavor and a certain color red. I, I'm fine when they get big and bulgy and everything. I yeah, think that's one kind thing. Of funky <laughs> I think that's one thing that's very interesting when you go into grocery stores uh, in France or when you go to a market and how fruit and vegetables are displayed. But also, they're not perfect. You know, yeah, they're not these. Wrong with it. You know, there's yeah. some of them that are bruised, and it's okay if it's bruised. I mean, you. Well, it it goes to ripeness, too. The European idea of ripe and American perspective on ripe are very different. But we want pretty more than we want. Mm, We want pretty more than ripe or flavor. (laughs) I wasn't going to say flavor, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, you said it for me. So here we are. Uh Back to... Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to go down that road. But So there, there you have our little dissertation on organic farming. <laughs> Environmentalist. So Alexander's having a good old time and he's making wonderful wine and it's an uphill battle on a few fronts. Okay. Thrilled by the success and yet despondent over his family's turn to lower quality production, Alexander single-handedly worked to promote the terroir. He was in constant motion from one wine convention to the next pouring samples, and telling the history. Completely out of his sample wines one day, he stopped by a small wine shop and bought several additional bottles of his own wine so he could continue to pour samples the next day. And at the Saturday market, he set up his tent in a range sample cup, opened a few bottles, ready to pour. However, when he tasted the wine, he was shocked. It was awful. It was the lowest quality table wine he'd ever tasted. He hurried to pour the open bottles into a street drain and put the unopened bottles back in his car. Something was very wrong. This wine had absolutely nothing to do with the terroir he knew so well. Never mind his own vineyard. He checked again. He checked once more. This wine was definitely not wine from his vineyard. This wine was not theirs. It was only a day later that he reached out to Natalie and then showed up at her vineyard. Actually... He showed up at the beekeeper's porch. Although we first met on that flight from Paris, and after a week or so, we were enjoying lunch together with the rest of the gang on my mother's porch just before that pandemic lockdown. And she has a quote here. Before I continue, do you have any I, thoughts? I, yeah, I'm I do sorry. have some thoughts, but I think you should complete the next. Just stop me when you have something to say. Okay. okay. So where were they? So he shows up. At the vin- at Natalie's vineyard, and he approaches. I remember this scene. Right. He approaches the porch, and everybody's like, "Who's that?" Walking remember, Claire up the thought driveway. he was coming for her, and he was going to Natalie. 
Right? So Cleo's like, oh, that's... And then he's like, is Natalie here? And it's like, okay, maybe oh, not. funny. <laughs> okay, let's see. So he's come across this wine he bought for samples. He's going to pour samples at this event. It's garbage. He can't pour it. What's going on? He goes to see Natalie. Something's happening, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> and she gives us a quote. She's And it's Alexander saying, you tasted my good wine on the plane that day. And I even gave a sample to your aunt when I visited. You agree that it's not a cheap table wine, right? I'm not crazy. The wine in these bottles with my labels is definitely not my wine. There's no way, not a chance. And no matter how badly they've been processing our wine, this is not my wine. It tastes like the cheapest possible Spanish table wine, the kind of wine sold in a box with a plastic spigot. Bah, horrible. Bah. <laughs> the kind of wine that stains your teeth. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. So, well, Alex okay. is having a dilemma. <laughs> Alex is having a problem. So, so he's fighting the good fight, and he's out there, and then he finds this garbage... I don't know, imposter. I don't know. Is it, well, did they just turn the dials back at the vineyard and make, do something label. awful to their wine? Yeah. Or what's going on? It's his label on it, though. So it's coming from somewhere. He thinks it's coming from the, the bottling line. You know, but he's such a good guy, though, because it's not his wine and the label. It's, it's about his, his wine, the vineyard, but it's the terroir. It's the region. Right. Like, this is horrible. This is horrible for everybody. Right, because once this, me. yeah, once this gets out that this is the kind of wine that's coming from the vin, from that region, then all of them are going to be impacted by that, you know. Plus, it's supposed to be biologique. So, what happened? How did that wine get into those bottles? Plastic spigot. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> I can see the box now. Six ninety nine for four gallons or whatever they sell. Do you remember when we were at that salon in Paris? Oh, gosh, yeah. Do I ever a salon in the quote literary sense? Yeah. It was 102 degrees, oh, it was no air conditioning, and they huge, served us beautiful soup. apartment in yeah. the... Was it in the Marais? It was in the Marais, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and it was beautiful in this, this old guy's place. And uh, uh, the woman that was running this little meetup, I guess you could call it. Um, it was a monthly get-together. Yeah. So you, for... you paid a little fee, basically, to attend, and they gave you something to eat. Well, the something to eat on a 100-degree day turned out to be hot tomato soup in a paper bowl, yeah, like a cheap paper yep. bowl, the yep. kind not even as thick as a cup. Okay? And boxed wine in Paris. I didn't even know they sold boxed wine in Paris. I mean, wine is so cheap over there. Regular wine that we never see in the you States. You can buy a nice rosé in a Paris supermarket for four euro. Right. Why wouldn't you buy that? Well, and, the, and it has a cork, by yep. the way. Yeah. Yep. Um, I guess she was trying to... Make oh, do you make. remember the potato chips? Felt like the a damp, rent party. Greasy potato chips <laughs> and the bags on the table. There used to be rent parties <laughs> back in the sixties in certain neighborhoods. People would throw a party to raise their rent. And that's what hat, it felt. Everybody you pass a, a hat, or you get yeah. You pass a hat, you get a, you throw a bucket. I never went to one of these. I'm just things I've oh, read I in literature. I wouldn't know those those kind of activities. But yeah, I mean that, that's the way it felt. But anyway, but that's not what's happening now. Poor Alex is now stuck with this bad wine. 
So he goes to Natalie. Well, he's not stuck with it, but he doesn't know, like... Well, he doesn't know where, yeah. it, where it comes from. Something's happened. Something's going on. Is that all she gives us? That's it, huh? That's it. But, you know, so she did warn s- us that she yeah, cuts it off. At, wow. She might have Getting to a little cut stingy, out on us. Claire. <laughs> no, she's not stingy. Let's be fair. Okay. She's all not stingy. Right, she's right. just giving us... You know, we're so spoiled because usually we used to get an entry that was beginning, middle, and end all in one place. And now we're, <laughs> you know, being teased from week to week. Oh, you mean week. A per diary entry? Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, they were very sh- concise, short stories yeah. and bundled now up into one. Now it's a continued series. A continued series. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, I'm enjoying it. I think it's a lot of fun. Still have those questions as to what happened to that wine. How did I get in that bottle? I guess we're walking Claire's moccasins, as they say. As they say. Well, that was a good one. I enjoyed that one. I I hope you guys did too, because we did. Okay, well, that's a wrap then. We'll see you next time when we're back back at the mic. mic.